welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, today we are continuing our series of COVID-19 interviews and helps for families that are dealing with all of the difficulties through the COVID-19 pandemic, both from an infection and health perspective, as well as in a thriving in our families, especially those families built through foster care and adoption. Today, we are grateful to have Dr. Heather Quigliana on the Defender podcast. She is a professor at Lee University who works in child development and psychology and really has a deep understanding of child development, the, the trauma that affects child development. But before we talk to Dr. Quigliana, I want to remind you of Lifeline's Global Orphan Care Network, which is Alter 84. It exists to pray, network, and share ideas and encourage one another as we do the work that called us to do. The gospel of Jesus is our primary focus. Through the outflowing of the gospel, we care for vulnerable children and families around the world. We want to empower the local church and community to care for the fatherless and to invest in sustainable solutions that will end the cycle of vulnerable children. We seek to care holistically for children and their physical, emotional, spiritual, and social needs. And through this work, stories of redeemed lives transformed by the gospel are abounding. So will you join us in making the name of Jesus known by caring for the vulnerable children and families around the world? If you would like to be a part of Lifeline's Global Orphan Care Network, visit us at lifelinechild.org backslash G-O-C-N. Again, that's lifelinechild.org backslash G-O-C-N. And our Global Orphan Care Network is called Alter 84. We were gonna meet with all of our global partners in Ukraine in June, but because of this global pandemic, we've had to go to this virtual get together. And so you also, you or your church can be a part of that global get together again by going to lifelinechild.org backslash G-O-C-N. Well, I'm so excited to have today on the Defender podcast, Dr. Heather Quagliana. Uh, She's an associate professor of psychology at Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee. Uh, She is as well an alumni of Lee University and joined the faculty in 2008. She teaches courses such as childhood disorders and intervention strategies, child development, personal personality theory, and community psychology. Uh, prior to serving at Lee, she taught at Community Christian College in Redlands, California, and at Azusa Pacific University. She has a passion for research that measures teaching effectiveness in the classroom, particularly outcomes associated with service learning. Uh, her clinical work and research focuses on children and families, and her specializations include foster care of children, childhood trauma, ADHD, autism, and expressive therapies. She has a passion for better understanding the integration of of our faith as believers in Christ with psychology. And and so, uh, Heather, we're so grateful to have you on uh, on the Defender podcast. And so many of the the passions that you have, the the training that you have, the equipping that you have, the things that you are teaching in the classroom, and even the webinars that you're doing are so uh, needed right now from our foster families that work working with adoptive parents who brought kids home from trauma. And obviously now all of those things are, are exacerbated because we're in this COVID-19 pandemic, sheltering in place and school's been canceled, activities have been canceled. So can you just, as we start, uh, would you mind giving a few practical methods to engage with the care of kids from hard places during this COVID-19 shelter in place? 
Yes, of course. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited um, to be here. Um, I think the most important thing for children is to play. During a crisis, it is important to have extra playtime to let children express themselves creatively. That also really speaks to kids who have trauma histories because part of how we work through trauma is through expressive um, type of work. So play, art, those type of things are particularly important. Research shows us that kids who are able to just play, not even go to play therapy, not even that type of thing, just play more in the midst of a crisis, they have better outcomes because that's how kids build resilience. As far as practical strategies, for parents, I think one of the most uh, effective things is to do daily check-ins. And with young children, those don't need to be verbal. They can just be, draw how you feel today. Um, you know, show me with the Play-Doh, how are you feeling? And having some specific times where you check in with your child regarding um, uh, their emotions, etc. I encourage parents that during this time, it's not time to be a super parent. You're doing school from home. You are doing so much. And I'm in the same boat. I'm trying to homeschool, work from home, you know, do all of these things. And I don't think it's time to be a super parent. I think it's time to be good enough and emotionally available. And by being emotionally available, that's just checking in. That's allowing for some creative expression of emotions and feelings. And so, I think that the drawing, um, you can also do different games, um, even as a family. One of my favorites is Feelings Jenga, where you just were, put the little emotions on the Jenga um, block, and when you pull it off, you just talk about the last time you felt that way. I, I think the most important thing, and particularly for vulnerable children, is that we allow for an expression of what's going on internally. And kids who are from hard places or have trauma histories, that's even more difficult for them to access sometimes that emotional vocabulary. So just providing fun opportunities to do that, allowing them just to play more. It's okay to take a break from the schoolwork and go do something creative. I think play is one of the best teachers too, um, as we work through this. I know too, that even with my own kids, it's really normal right now to play through their fears and anxieties. My kids the other day were, playing with, uh, my daughter was playing with her baby doll and she said, oh, my baby's sick. My baby's really sick. And so I just listened for a minute and my son said, well, she has COVID. And my daughter said, oh no, she couldn't. She's not been anywhere. You know, she, she couldn't have it. And he said, oh no, she has the symptoms, you know? And so I, I stopped and I went out there and I said, okay. I said, you know, there's a possibility she could have coronavirus, but let's talk through what help we could give her. And so I encouraged them to not be afraid, but to rather express the fear, right? But then also, how do you problem solve? Because that's something kids have an innate capacity to problem solve. And so even, you know, uh, taking care of the baby, nurturing that they took the baby's temperature, they did different things so that they weren't just passive in everything that's going on in their world. So play is one of the best things um, that we can do. And I also encourage parents to take about 20 or 30 minutes, two times a week, where they follow their child's lead and they just play with them. It's not a time where you're teaching your child. It's not a time where you're instructing them. You're just following their lead. And that also builds attachment and safety during really difficult times. Wow. I, I mean, so, many, so much of that is so rich. And, and, you know, really when we think about it, 
our children don't have the vocabulary and the vernacular to express all of their feelings. But if we're really honest as adults, so many times in the midst of our emotions and our feelings, we don't have the words to express that either. And, and, and thinking through uh, even the word of God, you know, when Christ was meeting needs, he always met the, met the felt needs before he met, met any other needs. And, and he did so many good things of expressing things that weren't always verbal. You know, of course, being the son of God, he also knew what people were thinking and could actually sometimes, you know, say it for them, you know, but, but I think we need to have obviously this grace for, for our kids, but we also need to have grace for ourselves. Absolutely. Uh, and so I know a lot of parents are, are feeling burned out. Uh, they're, you know, they're, they're tired. Uh, they're feeling overwhelmed. Can you, can you help us think through one, you know, what would be your advice for those parents and what's some self-help they can do for themselves as well? Yeah, I, I abs- absolutely. I, I think there's so many things um, that, that we can do. And I think that um, parent burnout is common, but it's more common when you're fostering, adopting kids that have really high needs. Um, and I think that one thing parents can do is not compare themselves to other parents. Mm. I think that's huge. Um, I I even know that I have a tendency to do that when I jump on social media and I see, oh my goodness, it looks like my friends have the perfect homeschool, the perfect meals. And I'm like, we're barely hanging on by a thread here, okay, (laughs) in my house. And so I think that comparisons aren't helpful. Celebrate other people's victories, learn from them if you can, but realizing that you've just got to be good enough. I I think that when kids look back on this time, it's going to have some grief because they've missed some things, but I think they're also going to have some really good memories of being at home and parents don't have to be perfect for a kid to enjoy being at home or playing with a sibling or doing things like that. I think for burnout particularly, um, this is something I've actually looked at a lot through my career is, is um, particularly foster and adoptive parent burnout And what we see with burnout is there tends to be three dimensions. There's emotional exhaustion where you just feel like I I can't do it anymore. I'm exhausted. There is decreased personal accomplishment where you feel like I'm not accomplishing what I want to accomplish. And then there's also depersonalization where you feel like you're almost on the outside looking in at your life. And those can all be really scary realities. But I think the first thing I would say is it's normal. Mm -hmm. Parents are having normal responses to abnormal events. And so trying to make yourself not be burnt out or say, I shouldn't be burnt out, that's counterproductive because I think it's normal to feel that way right now. I do encourage parents, though, to figure out what are some things that are life-giving for them. And Mm -hmm. even if it's only five minutes a day, could they do that? Mm -hmm. So is it getting up 10 minutes early and going and sitting on the porch and just having a cup of coffee by yourself? (laughs) Um, I think the use of spiritual interventions is really important. Um, So are there certain biblical narratives that really speak to you that would be helpful to reread? Um, I am a huge fan of just praying without ceasing. I think my conversation with God is just always ongoing about I'm overwhelmed. And so I I think that in times of burnout, I, I think we can learn a lot from David's life about the lament Psalms, lamenting what's hard, lamenting what's difficult, But then I also think it can be helpful to talk to other parents because it helps normalize things. I had a um, conversation with one of my good friends who's also a child psychologist the other day, and it was supposed to be a 30-minute, get some work done, and it turned into two hours of us just sharing 
how hard this has been. And I thought, I did not even know it was hard for you. And he's like, it's been so difficult for us too. And so that was so normalizing to have some community around the difficulty. And so I think getting that social support, support by coping with others, but then also figuring out what are some hobbies or just five minutes of coffee that are life-giving. And I also remind parents that it's important to still tend to your marriage. Mm. Um, When you are raising kids who have come from hard places, it takes a toll on your marriage. Mm. And so to be intentional, even in stressful times, even if it's just 10 minutes before bed that you do a check-in with your spouse, I think that it's important to not forget about your marriage during this time. Don't put that on the back burner because that's one of your potential greatest sources of strength. It can also be a place of conflict if we don't tend to it. So, Yeah. And even one of the things you said there at the beginning was talking about comparisons and, and I know, and you know, just in reality, a lot of times it's moms who, who deal the most in trying to make comparisons. And I know, you know, for my sweet wife, when we first knew that things were going to be canceled, she had all of these plans that she had made and, and, and I love her, but they were all unrealistic. And, and I was like, babe, we're not going to be able to accomplish all of that. And if you set that bar so high, it's just going to be disappointment. Um, we've got to set realistic expectations. And I remind her all the time that that person that's going out on social media or a blog and saying all these great things that they're doing, they're, they're failing in some ways. They're just not telling you how they're failing. And so, you know, I, I love what you say is celebrate other people's accomplishments, but also take time to celebrate the things that, that, that you're doing well. You know, you've had a lot of experience uh, in, in both in the classroom and, and hands-on with children with, with attention deficit disorder and hyperactive disorder. Um, and I know for a lot of our kids, too, that have been through trauma or who have learning differences or, or are just used to structure, lack of structure can actually cause instability. What are some ways that you would encourage parents in an unstructured environment, especially when we don't want to know what the future holds, to create structure? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and a funny side note is, as much as I train parents on structure, it's hard for me to create it um, with my own kids. So I'm right there in the struggle of, of how hard it is to, to create it. But I think it's important to, to have to have a daily schedule, but it doesn't need to be rigid. I think there are some parents who are going to tend towards the rigid side, and there's some parents who are going to tend towards whatever happens. I think there's a happy medium somewhere, and everybody's got to find kind of that balance for themselves. But I think keeping routines the same is one of the most important things. So even having the morning routine where you get up, you have your breakfast, then you prepare to do your schoolwork or whatever you have for the day. Um, It's important, too, to keep um, mealtime routines, bedtime routines as much the same as you can. Now, I mean, kids are going to have some different, you know, going to sleep, waking up because we're not on a strict schedule. But I think it's important, particularly with kids who have trauma histories or have, you know, different disorders that need structure, that they know what to expect. Because having expectations and a schedule for the day does promote a sense of safety. It doesn't have to be rigid, but it's just more, okay, what do you expect when you wake up? Okay, we'll start with school, then we'll take a break, then we'll do, I mean, it's just important to have some sense of predictability um, with kids who um, have some of those extra challenges. Yeah, and then the other thing, just to comment on, I I loved what you said, is to be intentional during this time, uh, you know, as a husband and as a wife, to spend time together. And, and I think there are, you know, intentional things that, that we can be doing. I know for 
my wife, Ashley, and I, you know, we have the flexibility that we have a 15-year-old that's relatively responsible. And so, uh, you know, and, and yes, it's funny, but we've gone parking where we're literally just eating in the car, you know, <laughs> trying to get away for 30 minutes. Uh, and sometimes we're just three blocks away from the house, but it's just getting out of the house. I think for some that may be going out on the back porch and allowing your kids to do an activity inside, or you stay inside where they're doing an activity outside. But that, that, that is so important. And talk about really, I think just psychologically, why kids need to see their parents spending time together and need to see their parents connected like that. Yeah. I I think what I always tell my students is the marriage is the context in which the children live. And so I think especially with young children, it's easy to put your marriage on hold and say, no, I've got to care for the kid. No, I've got to do this. But when you think about the, the uh, relationship, the children, that's what they're living in. That's what they're swimming in. And so nurturing a marriage is a direct gift to kids because conflict is going to happen even in healthy marriages. But it's important that kids see, okay, resolution can happen. We can work through it. Kids learn so much about how to do relationships by watching their parents. And so I think it's important, I mean, for many reasons, but I mean, a sense of safety and security that my parents have a healthy relationship. Now, I don't mean a perfect relationship because there's going to be difficult times. But what's important is that children see And they have an expectation that, you know what, my parents will work through that. It's hard, but I I know that they can. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's important for so many reasons, because when you have stable relationships um, and good marriages that kids are watching, they are less likely to have anxiety, depression, um, some of those significant issues. Yeah. And so when we even think about the issues that our kids are having, especially those from you know, places of trauma, those with, uh, you know, just abuse or, or, or even with uh, just psychological disorders, why, why psychologically do they exhibit behavioral issues? Because I know a lot of times when parents are in the homes and they're experiencing these, these behavioral issues, even as Christians, sometimes we just boil it down right there to sin. Well, it's just sin, or we just boil it down to they're just being rebellious. But psychologically, what's going on in the brain that actually creates a lot of these explosions and, and these, uh, these, these behavioral issues? Yeah, that is, that's a big question, because I think with each issue or disorder, we have some specific things going on in the brain and chemistry in the brain, et cetera. And I, I think that especially as Christian parents, I think it's important to have the discussion of how does my understanding of God and sin and all of this, how does that factor into parenting my child? Those are important things to consider. And I think because we live in a fallen world, we struggle with all kinds of things, including psychological issues. But when we actually look to the origins of specific disorders, so I'll take trauma and then ADHD, but With trauma, for example, we know that trauma, when children have trauma early on, it really does alter brain structure. There are certain pieces of the brain um, that are responsible for attachment and connection. There are certain pieces of the brain, for example, the amygdala is the part of our brain that's like the emotion powerhouse. And so what we know from studying trauma, and as our research gets more sophisticated, we know that those brain structures are significantly impacted. And so it's not just um, 
behavioral things. Behavior, I think, is a symptom of what's going on neurologically. Mm -hmm. And so if you're having um, difficulties or your amygdala has been impacted, it makes sense that self-soothing and calming is more difficult. Mm -hmm. And kids who um, have experienced trauma, I I mean, it's they have become habituated in many ways, I think, to chaos, their startle response. I mean, they perceive everything as dangerous, right? That sense of safety has not been established. And so it takes Mm -hmm. time and consistency. But the good news is, is that in healthy, good relationships, those kids can rewire their brains. Mm -hmm. I think that it's a testament to how resilient God made children. Um, And while there are biological and neurological origins, God still says healthy relationships matter and they can change um, the way that that children even experience the world. But I think creating safety is the most important part there. Now with ADHD, um, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, for example, um, with that disorder, we know that um, children who have this disorder, they have all types of behavioral manifestation, right? They're the kids that like they can't pay attention. They forget stuff. They can be they can be frustrating. I have one of my own, actually. <laughs> so um, I live this as a parent, too. But and some of them are hyperactive, right? It's like you wound them up and it's like, calm down. We know that with ADHD, looking at brain structure um, and scans, for example, um, that uh, kids who have ADHD, they are actually, um, a, the frontal cortex, the prefrontal cortex is impacted, for example, Um, in ADHD. And the prefrontal cortex is responsible for inhibition control. Mm -hmm. It's responsible for impulsivity. I mean, so it makes sense that would be there. And so these children, the behavior results as a a piece of what's going on with their brain chemistry and structure. So they're actually understimulated, even though they appear to be overstimulated. It's kind of a a conundrum there. But um, I think the behavior is a symptom of what's going on. Now, do kids ever just act out to act out? Sometimes, but usually, I always tell parents, be curious about what does the behavior mean, right? Mm -hmm. So if a child is acting out and being aggressive, what are they trying to communicate? That doesn't mean we don't discipline them. That doesn't mean we don't have structure in place, but what are they trying to communicate? I, I encourage parents to go from an attachment framework and say, okay, their behavior means something. We have to deal with it and address it, but what's the bigger thing they're trying to communicate here? And I think that brings more compassion um, and relationship, and relationship is what heals kids who are vulnerable. And so I think it's important to take that framework. Yeah. Well, one of the things that you have, have just done over your career, and certainly at Lee University is a big piece of what you do, is yeah. taking biblical, a biblical worldview and, and looking at what we know through science and psychology and child development. Um, and, you know, for a lot of times, and, and I've been at Lifeline for 17 years, and I remember, you know, when I first started, there were those who were like, if we can't find it chapter and verse in the Bible, then it's not true. And then there were those that were like, well, the Bible is, is really irrelevant to, to these issues. But there is such a match. And, and uh, I know my good friend Karen Purvis, before she passed away, used to say that she loves when science actually catches up with the Bible. Um, and shows that everything that the Lord said or the way he arranged things, right, right, we're we're, we're in his natural order. And we we know that it was never meant for kids to be separated from their parents, right? It was never meant for kids to be hurt and abused in a home. And so that brokenness and that sin creates these things. Can you just talk to us a 
about how does the psychology and child development actually match up with God's word and vice versa, God's word match up with the psychology and development. Yeah, I I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is um, uh, the scripture where Jesus says in the gospels, let the little children come to me. I have always been passionate about helping kids. And Christ also tells us to be childlike in our faith and approach. And I think it's because he's pointing to the resilience of children. And so I think Christ, of course, Christ knew that children are resilient and that children are able to recover from horrible things if given a right relationship, a relationship with him, a relationship with caring parents, et cetera. And so I think the science has finally caught up, right? Because right now a hot topic is resilience and what promotes resilience in children. And what we are finding, one of my favorite places um, to, to look at resilience literature is the Search Institute. Um, they have developmental assets and all of these things, but it's so beautiful how um, what they are promoting in relationships is what we see promoted in scripture as healthy caring relationships, what Christ emulates. Um, And so I think it's just beautiful to see that. I also think that um, uh, when we think about uh, the use of spiritual interventions, that's something that's become more popular in psychology. Mm -hmm. But I think throughout scripture, we know that prayer, Mm -hmm. biblical narratives, we know that just the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life is able to help bring comfort in times where we feel lost and insecure and different things. And so I think, again, the science has caught up to what we know in Scripture. We're also seeing um, in the psychological literature that connection to a religious community, for example, that promotes resilience in kids. And so it's so exciting to see that um, our faith we know our faith matters, but to also have that documented in uh, psychological research, because to me, the question I always ask about integration of faith is what, where can my faith and my psychology have the richest interaction? And for me, it's around trauma um, because I've done so much work there. And, and number one is the resilience, but also two, the therapy that I have done with kids, particularly who've experienced sexual abuse and who have experienced significant grief, I have never felt God's presence more. Mm. It's, sac- it's sacred space in there when you are working with those wounds. And I-, I think that it's just a testament to, I mean, I firmly believe that all truth is God's truth. Mm. Any truth that we discover belongs to God. And I don't think that the Bible is a textbook on childhood psychological disorders. But I do think the Bible teaches us how to have rich relationships, how to have a saving relationship with Christ. And I think it's beautiful that what we have found works the best with trauma to heal it is relationship. And so I think there's so many points of integration of our faith that exist, particularly in child psychology. Yeah. So as I'm, as we're talking about trauma too, I know that for a lot of families, they've experienced trauma in their own personal story. And now they've brought these children that have come from trauma. Uh, Why is it so important that parents deal with their own trauma before they can adequately deal with the trauma of their kids? I I think to be able to be emotionally available for a child with many needs, if you haven't worked through, now I I don't think you have to be at a place, you're never going to forget your own story, but you do need to be at a place where you're not triggered all the time. Right. I think that parents who uh, still need to do some of their own work, 
I think it's because you want to be able to be emotionally available. I've had parents who, you know, with their own trauma histories, it's common to have parents with their own trauma histories, raising kids with trauma histories, and it's going to get agitated. And there's certain developmental times. Like, for example, I had a parent come in one time who said, you know, I was sexually abused when I was six. My daughter is about to turn six and I'm flipping out because I see how young and innocent this child is and how could someone do this to me? And so she sought out her own help and therapy um, and spiritual counsel during that time because she knew it was going to be a rough period. And so I think that parents should think proactively about this. Even if you don't have your own trauma history, you can get triggered by what you see a child has gone through. And um, I think just getting your own help and resources helps you to not be triggered all the time, but also be emotionally available to um, the children that, that need you to be emotionally available. Yeah. And so finally, just we've talked a lot about normalcy, but we're living in times that aren't normal and parents and children alike are, are seeking for normalcy. I think, you know, not only is it economic reasons that we're talking about, how do we reopen? I think a lot of it is just people are craving normalcy. It's, it's not normal to have socially distanced picnics and not be able to, to, ha- to shake a hand of a friend or to give a hug to a parent or a loved one. Uh, that that's there. How how are ways? I guess first, why is it so important that normalcy is set? And what are some tips that you would give for families to create a new normal that 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 set that and, and a new normal that isn't continuous, but that can help them survive in the here and now. Right, right. I, I think that none of us know exactly when things might have a semblance of normalcy, right? It's just kind of unknown. And I think that's why it's so hard is we wish there was just a date to look for, you know, we, we want that, we crave that, absolutely. And I think that it, it can actually be an opportunity for some really beautiful reflection on how much we need each other, you know? And so I would encourage families to talk about, wow, we miss people, how much we need that that connection. But what I have encouraged parents to do during this time, uh, during the pandemic, is to, yes, create a new normal, but social distancing does not mean that you are socially disengaged. And so I think it's important to create some new routines around connecting with friends, um, around um, figuring out just ways that that connection can be met. So I know people are feeling Zoomed out right now or FaceTimed out, but scheduling those times so that you can have at least the visual contact with someone. I know with my kids, um, they have some neighborhood friends, and so they'll stand across the forest and, like, yell to each other and say, hey, and do some of that. I think another thing is to, again, keep routines um, as similar as you can. So if there was a routine that you had on Sunday where you went to church and you went out to eat, watch your church at home or whatever your church is doing. And then y'all could pretend to go to a restaurant at home, right? And, you know, pretend you're sitting on the patio eating. I think trying to keep some of those rituals you have, but adapting them for the current circumstance, I I think that that's helpful. And something else, I know I've talked a lot about routine and routine is important. Absolutely. But something that can also be helpful is having a bit of spontaneity and just doing some creative things. Um, that are a little out of the ordinary too, to kind of brighten your day, et cetera. And so 
yes, normalcy is important. Yes, having routines is important. But I think the most important thing is how do you stay connected to other people? Um, and so even with our small group, for example, we do our Zoom, our small group through Zoom, just so we don't lose that contact of checking in on each other. And, um, you know, little things like that can help maintain the social normalcy, because I, I think that's where people are hurting the most. Mm. Well, Dr. Quagliano, we, we really appreciate yeah. uh, you coming on. And how can folks get in touch with you or follow you or get more information uh, if they need it? Yes, my email. Um, you can email me at Lee University. It's H Qualiana, Q-U-A-G-L-I-A-N-A at Lee, L-E-E, university.edu. And then also all of my um, uh, webinars uh, have been saved to um, the website with our ministry partners. Um, and that is at uh, givecare.projectm25.org. Uh, and all of the um, uh, webinars are archived there. They're in English and Spanish, um, available on that website for free. Well, thank you for that. And we will post all of that in show notes so folks can easily get that information. Well, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. <laughs> thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.